Hi, my name's Karen O'Connor and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for being on today. Like I was really looking forward to this because when you stuck your hand up and said, oh, I'd like to talk to you about how yoga can help in menopause, I was like, oh, really? Can it? I had no idea. Tell me about it. Well, I guess I've been lucky because I started the yoga way before the menopause, right? (laughs) So by the time the menopause um, symptoms came around, I already knew how to deal, you know, like, because you're so in touch with, if you've got a certain type of symptom, then this is what there is to do to relax yourself or to be with it. Or So I was lucky in that way because I didn't really get too much discomfort during menopause so um it and I don't think that I really realized it either until I like in retrospect went oh all these people are suffering all these things and um you know I've been able to address them straight away or just not be phased by them because I have these different techniques so I wanted to uh, just give you a bit of a background on why why it helps with these life transitions, including menopause. One of the reasons is that yoga is like an antidote to all the rushing around that we do. (laughs) So life is like this mad dash and um, yoga reminds us to be present. And when you're present, you can notice what's going on with your body. Um, And it also connects you to very simple things like the breath very simple, <laughs> but we just never pay any attention to it unless we stop with the conscious intention of paying attention to it. <laughs> and it also has us thinking about our posture. And posture is a really interesting thing because um, if you think about some of the sort of chronic ailments that have developed as we've become more and more computer oriented, um, you know, you can get all kinds of neck aches and frozen shoulders and all these issues just because your posture is so terrible. And so there you are for your, you know, 30 minutes a week or 90 minutes a week or whatever you can afford to do of your yoga. And you're like thinking about, oh, is my spine straight? Is my head in line with my spine? Like really basic stuff. (laughs) So the, the thing is that it guides you to get what you need. Like it's, it's getting you to communicate with your body. And then if there is something awry, at least you've paid attention. So then you could go get some assistance or talk to someone and go, this isn't working very well. This weird twist that I have isn't working very well. How could I straighten myself up? So oftentimes people that practice yoga are also more, more likely to go, wow, something is not right with my neck or my ankle or something. And I'm going to go and get somebody to help me figure it out. Whereas if you're rushing around, you never take five minutes to sit down, breathe, pay attention to your body and the state of your mind. Like that's really unlikely to happen. You're going to, you're going to slam and hit the wall and something really big is going to happen to you before you actually notice that something's kind of on track to, you know, be problematic. (laughs) So it really is kind of obvious, right? Like I, that's the basics of the yoga thing in relation to other things that are going on in your body. And, you know, life is full of um, transitions. So menopause is one of many transitions. So I'll leave it at that if you had another question and then I. 
Oh, I've got okay. some questions. So <laughs> when did you start doing yoga and why? Well, I think I officially began like doing, going to a class when I was about 32 or something like that because I had a little child and my um, friend said to me, I, I said to her, oh, my husband and I never get to spend any time together. And, you know, she said, oh, why don't you go to this cool yoga class? <laughs> a lot of the people there are parents of little children. And so I started go. Gary and I started going and it was like so um, therapeutic. Cause again, like I said, you'd stop still. <laughs> you'd be focusing on uh, like your body and your breath and your m mind state. And then you'd just be refreshed. And when you went back to parenting, which is full on <laughs> with little kids, <laughs> then you would be like, able to see things from a new angle. So that was quite a while ago. And then I started teaching maybe 12 years after I began doing it, just because I thought, oh, this is so much fun. I want to learn more. I want to give it to others. Yeah. So, but it's not necessary to, like if somebody's going through menopause now, so like that's great because you had however many years experience of getting to yeah. know your body and everything, but if somebody's yeah. going through menopause or they're postmenopausal now, what yoga can still benefit them, yeah? How can it help? Yeah, this, this is the thing. People should never be discouraged from starting wherever they are. That's what I would say. I mean, I, I teach sometimes people that are in their 70s, way past menopause, and they still get heaps of benefits. So wherever you are, and if you happen to be 50 and you never had time before or life didn't seem to be able to jam one more thing in, like why not start at 50 or, or 55 or 60? I mean, there's nothing that um, prevents you from getting a lot of benefits. I know that when we look at magazines and <laughs> pictures on on the internet you know with people twisted up in knots and I don't know balancing on the end of rocks and you know like we think that that's going to be what we're doing in the first class <laughs> so it's not like that <laughs> just so you know especially if you choose your type of yoga carefully I mean you probably don't want to go to one of those hot classes people love them Bikram yoga and you know, some people are already pretty fit and they think that's awesome. But I wouldn't, if you're somebody who hasn't done a lot of fitness before, I wouldn't leap into that kind of yoga because it is fairly physically demanding. But also if you're a person who gets bored easily, you don't want to go to a class that's all yin, what they call yin, which is all just like sitting in a pose for ages and ages, because then it'll just turn you off because you'll be bored out of your mind. <laughs> well, that might be what happened to me because I've tried a few yoga classes and it's never really appealed to me. And I used to do synchronized swimming. So uh -huh. I'm quite bodily aware because, you know, it is all about exactly where your body is in relation to every other part of your body and keeping yourself in balance. Like I've always gone, oh, yoga would be good for that because it's the same thing. And I think I've tried three different yoga classes and I have done the Bikram yoga as well, like nearly passed out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm overheated now, mate. <laughs> Came out of the class, had to lie down for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the other classes I've done have been, it's kind of like I've struggled with it because it's neither strengthening nor flexibility. And I'm quite like either I go and do a stretch class or I'm doing a weights class or an, an aerobic, you know, fitness class. And 
these yoga classes that I've been to kind of combined the two, but it was also a little bit like, mm, for me, a bit, yeah. <laughs> so I'm obviously yeah, going I think for the you wrong can, one. <laughs> I think you can definitely find a meh, what did, whatever that wonderful sound is, that meh <laughs> nah. classes. And, and part of that is because um, yoga teacher training over the years has changed a lot. Like I, the tradition that I follow, you have to do quite a lot of training, but the, but the other yoga, I mean, you can get like, what is it? Six days or six weeks or something, which is not to discount that. That's obviously good for a group of people, but it's not like the traditional yoga. And the form that I do, which is the Iyengar yoga, is very much into like um, a whole range of things. And some of them are quite rigorous. So you've got everything from inversions, you know, standing on your head or arm balancing or um being on your shoulders with your legs in the air. And I mean, you progress to that. We don't, seriously, you're not doing that in the first week or the first year or whatever. Like, But but you'd get that. Then you have forward bends, which is where you're sitting firmly on the floor. Your legs are very grounded and you're folding. Um, and we have lots of standing poses. So those are great because they're, um, they create balance and they have you extending certain parts of you, your arms and your legs. And... Um, then we also have uh, back bends. Um, but all of the things in Iyengar, you know, we recognize that not everybody can do all of those things. And it's a progression, like to build to that. And very much what you say about the synchronized swimming, it really takes practice to get to the point where you've got all the different bits of you activated. And that's, the, that's where the meditative quality comes from because you cannot be distracted. If I'm balancing on one leg with my arms in the air, it's one of the best things to teach beginners, actually, when they've started, is that what we call the tree pose, where you've got one leg bent and the foot in the opposite leg, and then your arms are up in the air. And obvious, sometimes they're wobbling all over the place, so you can use the wall or a chair or something. But as you practice that over time, you do notice that your ankle gets stronger and you're less distracted, so you're able to focus like down into the floor and you become more aware of like what your arms are doing and whether you're even. So it's a lot like what you're saying about synchronized swimming. It's very much, um, how do I get all the different parts to work together? So how does it help? How, you know, like I, I understand the physical benefits of yoga, but how does it actually in practicality help you? go through menopause and recognize yeah yeah or even through you know not just menopause because like you say we go through lots of transitions in life um how does it help you through that well you're practicing a few different things when you're practicing yoga and you know you can do once a week you can do twice a week you can do every day whatever but you know even just starting with once a week to give you a feeling in those once a week sessions Whatever you get in that session, you're going to carry it through your week till the next week. Like you'll be kind of on some level absorbing it as you go through your week. So even just once a week is awesome. And if you can do more, great. But you're working on your breath. Like when I say working on it, you're just becoming aware of it. Um, you're becoming aware of your, uh, like, um, when you have something that's in your life, you become aware of, like, just being with it. Like, Sometimes there's stuff that you cannot do anything about. <laughs> it's going to be there. Like take, take the horrible symptom of um, bloating or something from like menopause or 
or hot flushes. There's nothing you're going to do about that thing because it's hormonal and it's there. And really what there is is to go, wow, I've got a hot flush and just be calm about it rather than going, ah, (laughs) I don't want this to happen. (laughs) So, you know, it's the being with stuff that's very, very valuable. And then you're also like, because we collect tension at times that we're not feeling very secure, uh, the simple act of stretching releases tension. Um, And then another thing that's really brilliant for is um, weight bearing. Like it's, it's a type of exercise where you do, you know, I, I think it's really good for your bones. Actually, it prevents osteoporosis because you're, you're either bearing weight on your hands, which hardly ever get any exercise, hands, elbows, shoulders, arms. And also with the legs, you're using them in different ways. Like sometimes you're extending one leg versus the other, you know, like you're kind of not fully doing the splits, but one leg is moving in a different direction than the other. And those things are incredible for your hip joints. And um, it just creates blood flow in the joints so that uh, it prevents injury. Yeah, these are just different basic things that you're already practicing in any yoga session. So the the meditation Mm. that you do, I mean, one of the other, I mean, I I loved doing the meditation session at the end of the class, but I would invariably fall asleep and start snoring like every (laughs) I'd say, why don't you meditate? Well, because I snore my way through the meditation. (laughs) Haven't managed to stay awake yet. Well, that's such an interesting question because I think a lot of beginners do have that. They fall asleep and there's nothing wrong with falling asleep. But one of the things is as you practice relaxation, you tend to do that less. But it's a practice thing. It's like maybe for the first six weeks you'll fall asleep. But then if you can get past that, your body will start to learn to relax without sleeping. It will actually ha- It will actually happen. And and the thing, the thing I found is I am, well, when I began yoga, there was no way that I would have been able to sit still for 30 minutes meditating. <laughs> no way. Just like it was impossible. So when I did a yoga session and then I had that relaxation for 10 minutes at the end or seven minutes or whatever we do, that was the one time when like everything could just slow down and all the stimulus could just be left by the side. Like that was the beginnings of getting to a point where you could be calm in the face of anything. So yeah, it's, but it's one of the things that takes practice. You're right. Some people squiggle and squirm in their first few weeks of like what we call Shavasana, the, the corpse pose or the lifeless pose. Other people, they fall asleep instantly. They're like exhausted. <laughs> And they, you know, they're not used to resting without. <laughs> and on adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just one of those things that as you practice it, it, it comes that, that you can be restful without falling asleep. But it, it's a practice thing. It's not, um, yeah, not, not automatic, I don't think. Mm. It's, yeah, that's interesting. And I, I do think it's a symptom of our society as well. Like you don't stop unless you sleep and you oh. Maybe this is just me. <laughs> you don't stop unless you sleep and you don't. Or staring time. at a television screen or something that you're like more stimulus. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But it is just that 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 peacefulness because I've always done a lot of swimming and I find just having to follow the black line 
or follow the the line on the roof just calms me down because I can't think about anything. I've just got to follow the line and count the strokes so that I can breathe. And that's that for me is my calming thing, you know, the repetitive with regular breathing that I come out the pool and I'm like, I'm okay now. I'm chilled. So similar thing. That and that is the gift of aerobic exercise, you know, that works for you. Like even, you know, cycling can be like that and running can be like that and swimming definitely and it just really gets your heart going and yeah centers you so I mean I think that's another reason that yoga is so amazing is that if you can you know find the right teacher find the right class it complements any other exercise that you do so with swimming you know often we work our shoulders a lot and just to be able to stretch your shoulders and kind of get all those nigglies out, we do a lot of twisting in yoga. And all of that stuff just makes you kind of uh, release any repetitive strains that you might get from aerobical things. Um, but the other thing I think is really interesting about um, the yoga in relation to something like menopause is that it works at the level of glands and the endocrine system. And that also, well, you know, in ancient um, traditions, that's related a bit to what we call the chakras, these energy centers that are located up and down your spine and in your head. And one of the things about kind of nurturing those places, nurturing those gland areas, which is a lot of the design of the poses, I think, is that it tends to address a lot of the symptoms because the symptoms come from some imbalance in the hormone that's being released or not being released, mood swings and headaches and dizziness and all those weird things that you get, tingling extremities. And so if you um, are doing your yoga poses, whether it's folding in half or bending backwards, and there's, there's rigorous versions and there's gentler versions. So I don't want to get, give anyone the impression that they have to like turn, them, you know, turn themselves into a pretzel to get the benefits. It's really, <laughs> it's not that. But there's always like a, a slightly easier version or a version where you're propped with something, a wall or a chair or a brick or something. And then just doing those things, it creates that balance. Um, I mean, it, I suppose in life, sometimes it's like going down the pool, only leading with the right arm all the time. You know, like we do that kind of thing in life. We always walk a certain way. We always, you know, drive or open the door with a certain arm. And, and then we don't realize the imbalances. But when you come to the yoga class, what you become aware of is, oh, wow, my right arm is really strong. My left arm is not so strong. But my left side is much more flexible than my right side. So you start to see and feel these things. So it's that awareness, too, that's quite good for um, bringing you back to balance. Talk to me about the chakras and how does yoga work with that? Because I didn't read, I mean, I suppose it stands to reason that yoga works or does whatever it does with the chakras, but I hadn't really thought about that. And here's another question on from that that I've just thought about. What chakras are impacted by menopause? Are any of the chakras in particular impacted by menopause and how do you, how do you help with that? Well, I think the ones that impact us the most are just those ones in the head, you know, the pituitary and the um, 
heck, I forgot the other one, but anyway. <laughs> um, the, but they, re- they release like the estrogen and the testosterone and that kind of thing. So that when you get imbalance in, the, in those things, then you end up having, you know, weird symptoms um, or sim- irritating symptoms. Maybe they're normal symptoms. But anyway, um, and if you, you know, you, you start your yoga, you don't really become aware of the fact that you're dealing with the chakras for quite a while because you're just doing your poses as your teacher shows you. But after a while you go, wow, my legs are so strong from having done so many standing poses that that gives a really solid foundation to that base chakra, you know, the mula bandha, which is the base of the spine. And you're like, because I'm so solid down there and I, and sometimes when you start, it's not easy. Like standing poses can be super challenging because we're so wobbly on our legs. We don't actually build strength in our thighs and we don't kind of get used to using the whole foot because you really want to use the inner and the outer edge of the foot, the whole foot and the heel and the ball of the foot. And we spend so much time in the standing poses practicing that. And sometimes if we're wobbly, we just go to the wall or the chair and start there and then gradually build that balance and that solidity. But that's amazing for that base chakra. So then you've got, well, they say the base chakra is all about like your sense of security and your, um, your energy levels as well to some degree. And then you've got the chakras. When you go up, there's like the creative center. And a lot of that stuff gets worked on when you're, um, in your forward bends, any kind of forward bending. So your, you know, your legs are there and your torso is going that way because you're kind of um, massaging your internal organs. So again, that brings blood supply in there. And it's not something you think about when you begin again, like I say, except that, you know, say you haven't done it for a while and then you sit down and do a few of your forward bends. You go, Oh, wow. I feel so much more alive in my middle. And then the back bends, they're incredible for the adrenals and the heart and this area because, again, we're always doing this in life, running around. And then you do a little back bend. It doesn't have to be anything severe, even just lying on your stomach and lifting your head and your shoulders and your legs. I mean, it's just opens this area. And in that area, of course, as many emotions are stored. Sometimes people get this rush of joy when they open their chest or they get a rush of sorrow because... They've been holding on to it, and then they release it by opening that. So that just gives you a little bit of a, a picture of how those glands, those energy centers are very focused uh, by these different movements. So in, in terms of menopause, what would you – so if there's a, what poses are most beneficial? But Or is that like a – yeah, no, that, is that a daft question, or are there certain poses that really help you with different well, things? When you asked me the books, three books, I put three books on your list. And there is a beautiful book by Lois Steinberg about a women's yoga practice based on Gita's, Gita Iyengar's um, work with women. And, um, you know, in there you can find certain things for certain um, conditions. Also the big, the big white book that I put on there, which is called a holistic guide to health or something. And it has all kinds of illustrations and it has sequences for many different um, things like a sequence for depression and a sequence for um, backache and a sequence for, you know, I don't know, just like, I don't know, 
many sequences, but um, I think one of the things you'd find with the menopause is it's like an opportunity to tune into your body and instead of resisting all the symptoms, maybe to get interested in the system symptoms and go, oh, <laughs> I wonder if this pose would help me with my headache or I wonder if this pose would help me with my anxiety. Um, and there are definitely things that help with those kind of stuff. So let's say you're running around on a hot day and you're really, really distracted. What you want to do is a forward bend. So that, because when you bring your head forward towards your front of your legs, it brings like the energies into the sense, kind of centers the energies and brings you into a more calm state. Um, you can even notice uh, because we have this kind of parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system thing running through our spinal column, that when you lie on your left side, it, you're more activated because the right nostril breath is more, they call it the sun breath. It's more stimulating. If you lie on your right side, your left nostril breath is more stimulated, and that's a calming, cooling breath. So little subtle things like that can also make a difference. Um, even just the simple act of lying on your back with maybe your legs elevated, either have the legs straight up the wall or have them, the calf muscles on a chair and your back flat and your legs elevated, that is restful for the heart and has the heart, you know, even if you lift your chest more and have your head lower, you can get the blood from the heart to like go into the brain and kind of create more um, circulation of blood vessels in the brain. So you can play with like the positioning of your body in space, which is what a lot of the postures are and have these subtle effects on, well, how you feel, but also how the circulation is. So what kind of yoga do you practice? Cause you're a teach, you teach teachers, don't you? Is that right? I don't teach teachers, but I, um, I've taught yoga for many years and then I got, really interested in doing more rigorous teacher training. So I've been doing that for several years and that's this Iyengar training. And I like it because it is rigorous in that um, they, you know, the teacher, which I'm becoming <laughs> really pays attention to how the body is held in space, you know, to get the alignments correct, which prevents injury, but it also has like the maximum benefit. The other thing about it is it's got a therapeutic component. So if there's a student in the class that really can't do some pose or other, I work with them to find like a substitute pose or some way we can prop them with a, the wall or the chair or something to make it possible for them so they can still get the benefits but not having to do it fully themselves, uh, not straining themselves. Um, but the Iyengars, I mean, like Mr. Iyengar, he only died a few years ago. He lived till in 96 or something. And he had learned from one of the really old teachers that had been connected way back to the tradition. So he's trained a lot of the modern um, people that have sort of set up their own schools. And, and I, yeah, I've just always been attracted to it because it's very, um, it's very dependable for producing that sense of relaxation at the end because you work yourself and then you fully relax. Why is it different? Yeah. In what way is it different to other forms of yoga? I can't even remember what what the classes I did were. I've got no idea. Um, 
I think it's just that traditional element of it. Um, but again, there's multiple traditions. I mean, there's apparently a Japanese tradition of yoga and there's, I mean, Bikram actually studied with Iyengar. So the guy that came up with the hot yoga thing, he was very militaristic from what I understand, but he had done some of his training with BKS Iyengar. And yeah, how can I describe it as different? It's just very, um, it grew really seriously out of the traditions. It hasn't been played with, you know what I mean? They haven't like modified it and commercialized it. And it really, yeah, it's kept pretty much to the old um, approach of the, you know, the important part is the practice, you know, that you keep practicing. Don't get stopped by anything. Even when you have an injury, you know, keep coming along. You're not going to, you're not going to work with the part that's injured, but you could, see how you can work with the other parts. Um, respect menstruating women. Like if you're a menstruating woman in a Iyengar class, you always get given an alternate pose so that you don't aggravate your uterus and during that period of the month. Um, what else? And it's got that therapeutic quality. Like there's an amazing Iyengar teacher in India. His name is Father Joe. And he has been devoted to healing people with addictions and um, through yoga. And he just teaches these amazing classes for all these, I guess they're criminals, you know, they're people that are in jail and have had really difficult lives. And he gets them kind of back on track. Many of them just find that they can let go of their past and kind of form a new life by this practice of breathing properly looking after their bodies, being more present. Yeah, it's very inspiring. So if somebody was to do, um, if they haven't done yoga before, I mean, yeah, go and, go and do a yoga class. Sayanga yoga is a worldwide thing, is it? Yeah, it's worldwide. We have the Iyengar Association of Australia that has a website with a bunch of teachers listed. So that would be a starting point. Go to that website. Um, if you really can't find an Iyengar teacher in your neighborhood, I mean, I wouldn't discourage you from trying another yoga class, but it's just that they're very dependable. The Iyengar yoga classes are, I mean, I, last year, not last year, year before last, um, we got to go overseas and I was staying in Miami for a month and I don't really know a soul in Miami other than the people we were visiting. And I found an Iyengar school and it was just exactly, you know, the kind of yoga I love to practice. It's got a bit of rigor. You have to work hard and then you get your beautiful relaxation. So I think that it's worth pursuing if you can find one. <laughs> oh, I just in, encourage people to give it a go. There's also yoga on the web now. You know, some of the yoga schools have beautiful um, Zoom classes and some of them are like pre-recorded. Um, one of the things my husband and I do sometimes if we're really, you know, going through a tough week is we get onto one of those Zoom classes, but it's just audio and it's actually the breathing. We call it pranayama. And you do 40 minutes of breathing after you've had like an intense week and it's just kind of re-centers you, <laughs> gets you back to <laughs> ground zero again. So um, you can use it in different ways. That's what I would say. <laughs> So is that a link that's open to anybody? Can anybody join or do you have so to? So that go? school, she her name is Pixie Lelis and she's in Sydney area and her school is called Yoga Vastu and they do these wonderful recordings. But there's others as well and 
Yeah, that's, I, what is that? There's another group that does all kinds of wonderful things. Like they'll break down individual poses and teach you the poses in detail. That's also really nice. If you've got a pose, you know, that's always challenging. It's worthwhile paying attention to your endocrine system <laughs> at any stage in life. <laughs> What's the endocrine system? Tell me that. The, the, gla- the glands and um, by association, the chakras. So that's where, where the hormones are. And, and, and it's the, one of the best things about the yoga is just the balance. You know? And I don't mean only physical balance. That's brilliant, physical balance. But mental balance, like to bring things back and to, yeah, to let, because you're, oh, the other thing I haven't mentioned is the eight limbs of yoga. So that, what that refers to is the practice of the physical, like the movements. And then the breathing, which is called pranayama. And then the kind of ways to live, which are called yamas and niyamas. And then there's pratyahara, which is a practice where you bring your senses inward. So that's partly what you're practicing when you're in your relaxation at the end. You know, you're trying to draw your attention inwards, um, not get distracted by every stimulating thing around you. And then there's the more meditative stuff like the dhyana, which is concentrating, and the samadhi, which is that bliss that you get when you're actually in the meditation and you know you finally feel totally connected with yourself and the universe. And wow, um, I was going to say I didn't know that the chakras were connected to the endocrine system. I don't know if you know anyone's written that as a fact. But, but what's interesting is the chakras are located just pretty much where there's a gland. That's really interesting because that would make sense because you kind of then um, focus in on, on, I suppose it's the basic system of your body, isn't it, the, the hormonal stuff. You need to explain that a bit better because I just, I just waffled my way through a sentence then. Well, <laughs> no, but what you've said is perfect. So you've got... You've got many systems in your body as well. You've got the hormonal system, which is pretty much dictated by what's happening in those glands, most of them, you know, relating to the the spinal cord and the brain. You know, there's the throat, the head, the heart, lower down around the um, solar plexus and the um, lower belly and then the base of the tail, like the tailbone. So those glands are there related to sexual activity, related to emotions, like so many things that the glands do, digestion. But then you've got all the other systems. You've got your skeletal system and all that connective tissue, and you've got the lymphatic system. Then you've got your respiratory system. So when you think about all those different systems, it's like I said, it's good to stop and pay attention to them once in a while. And you may not be able to read it straight away, but you know, you, you can pick up when, like, say you got an allergy from some pollen in the air and you notice that. You may not be able to solve the problem right away, but at least you just go, oh, that's that thing that's irritating my sinuses. And then you just be with it. So you don't necessarily have to rush off and buy a million drugs. <laughs> you can just go, let me just pay attention to how I'm breathing today. <laughs> Yeah, you've mentioned that a lot, that it's it's kind of not going to necessarily fix anything. It just gives you the opportunity to recognise what's going on and go, okay, that's what's going on. Right, I, I'm not 
I'm not, you, you don't make it mean anything else, you know. You don't make it go, oh, I'm coming down with a cold or oh, I feel rubbish today or everybody's getting on my nerves. It's just, okay, this is what's going on. Okay, then I can deal with it. Is that right? Is that how it works? That's a great way of saying it. And also, like there are sequences. I told you about all these sequences in that book. There's this wonderful sequence that my friend runs at a class and it's like an immunity sequence. And, you know, in winter when everyone's coming down with something, she runs this sequence and you go, oh, my goodness, this is so cool. Because you'll walk in there with a scratchy throat and then you'll do all these poses. Many of them have to do with shutting the throat and opening the throat just to activate this area and kind of um, make it feel stronger so it can fight, you know, so the immune system can fight whatever's coming at you. And often if you practice that thing for a couple of days, like after that, the thing go with that scratchy throat leaves, you know, because it's just that you've paid attention to that thing that was talking, kind of talking to you in a way. <laughs> Yoga is all about integrity. It's about, okay, well, what's whole and complete in this pose? And if you're whole and complete in whatever pose you're in, then your breath lines, you can feel it like the breath suddenly is like flowing and it's, um, it's a form of physical integrity. If you're, if you're doing some crazy balance, like, you know, when you see those really wild pictures of someone doing something amazing, total <laughs> admiration of them, it's because they've worked out the integrity of the pose. They've figured out, and like what you were describing with your synchronized swimming, they, they've worked out, okay, I need to have equal weight on the arms I need to have you know like if my legs are in one direction I need to balance with my hips in the other direction I need to have my head in a certain angle so that it you know the center of gravity and and then that allows your breath to be there and it also keeps your focus completely centered so that's that meditative quality so yeah that's brilliant it's like oh, okay like something's just clicked for me now with yoga it's like oh, I understand the point okay it's all about getting to that center and the balance it's not about if I'd known that I would have enjoyed the yoga classes it's not about getting <laughs> into a particular position it's about finding the position where you're you're in like complete completely centered where you're completely centered and there's an ease and a grace within that weird position that you're in. That's, <laughs> that's what it's like. Got it. Okay, cool. I might go back and do yoga now. <laughs> Pretty fun, huh? <laughs> and, and you can see why you have to find a teacher that understands that and is interested in that. Because if you have someone that really couldn't care less, they're just running around teaching a series of poses then you're not going to get that from a class because they're not even going to be looking at you and they're not going to be noticing, oh, that person's probably leaning a little bit too far to the left and they're not going to get that sense of ease. So if I can just get them to back up a little bit, use their back leg more. I do love um, that feeling of centeredness that you get when you have integrity in life, integrity in your body. You know, it's just a very restorative space and you can't be there all the time i get it you know like (laughs) things are going to be thrown at you and you're going to have to deal with the stuff and but if you can figure out a way to get back there and if you have more ways of doing it then it's it's great to know about (laughs) and when you get trained as an iyengar teacher one of the things they're really strict about is not 
having fluff in your instruction. So not saying a bunch of things like if you want to, or if you feel like, or if you can, it's more like, okay, your left foot uh, here, your right arm there. And it's like to cut to the chase, give really exact instructions and then let the people discover it with their own kind of thinking, not to inter it's, I guess it's to not interrupt and interfere with that internal process. The great thing about a yoga practice is also the, the capacity to inquire that it gives you. So let's say you do have an injury or, a, or surgery or something kind of extreme, you know, and you've got to recover. If you can think about it from the context of like, I will recover <laughs> and I've got to discover how I can recover bits, some pieces before the other pieces. It's, it's really useful because otherwise you kind of get very resigned and fed up about the thing that doesn't work anymore. And then you kind of give up and you're like, oh, stuff it. I can't be bothered. And then down the track, you're like, oh, my God, I actually had more motion five years ago than I do now because I just, you know, forgot about it or gave up or something. And uh, yeah, I just think that now with our longevity, you know, we're all living longer pretty much. And we've got to look after our bodies because they've got to last and do things for us much longer. <laughs> and they will fall apart. There will be things that don't work like they used to, but there's not really a reason to give up exercising the parts that do work. <laughs> yeah, you want to be able to squat on the floor with your grandchildren. <laughs> um, and also very simple things can be done, like, one of my favorite things is the fact that in a yoga um, practice, you're always opening your hands and stretching your feet. And you don't really think about that as you get older, except that when it doesn't do it anymore, <laughs> and you're like, come on, I used to be able to do that. <laughs> I guess it's also just that thing about it's okay to look after yourself. It's okay to take a few minutes out, I'm not trying to do everything for everybody else. <laughs> or <laughs> whatever that is that we do <laughs> and go, no, I actually said I was going to do something for me for 30 minutes. <laughs> and it's hard because it gets to six o'clock at night and, you know, you're going to start making dinner and you're going to do everything else. And, and it's like, I haven't got time and it always gets put off. And that's where the community does play a role as well. You know, when you have your yoga class community and you all, you want to see every, each other. Um, on Zoom, it's a bit different, but um... I mean, I think Zoom's great um, because you know, and this this big movement onto Zoom that we've all had to do because of COVID. I actually think that's great for a lot of people because if you can't get out of your house, there you go. You've got online stuff that you can do. At least you can still connect with people, and it's not as confronting. You know, if you're starting off on something, maybe that's a better way or an easier, less confronting way to do it because you're not in a class with other people and you can do it to your own ability and in the comfort of your own home. I don't know, pros and cons. Yeah, I think you need a bit of both, really. You need to get out and you can also be motivated by the fact that you don't have to get out. <laughs> you can still do awesome things without walking out the door. <laughs> So I think we've been talking for an hour, Amrit. Thank you so much. It went fast. Thanks very much, Karen. <laughs>
really enjoyed that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I didn't, I realised when we started talking, I went, oh, crap, you're about 15 minutes into talking. I went, I didn't ask Amrit about herself. That was so rude. (laughs) It's because we know each other from so many things, maybe. (laughs) I I do that occasionally. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If you need anything else, let me know. Yep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Come and join us in our new Facebook group, the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood group, where we'll discuss what happened in this podcast and all the other things that have got to do with midlife. I'll see you there.